So, Mike, uh, we talk about self-confidence, we talk about self-esteem, and it's often been thought, there's a thought in recovery, and everybody's in recovery from something, whether it's chewing your fingernails, yeah. uh, that a lot of people in recovery are egomaniacs with inferiority complexes. Have you found that? Um, th- not really. I mean, I feel like people are just kind of struggling to find out who they are, you know, and uh, often they've kind of lost that yes. sense of self, um, you know, through addiction. You know, that's it's not a, a easy you know situation by any means. So, um, you know, part of what I feel like we do is try to help them kind of come back from that and to find out who are they um, to be able to get that confidence um, in you know their abilities to kind of move forward in the world and um, you know be healthy and productive and engaged in our community um, you know and figure out how to manage those stressors that come up in everybody's lives. So it's dealing with life on life's terms. It is. There's many ways that people deal with adversity and deal with life or even deal with good things mm-hmm. uh, and some of them are maladaptive behaviors True. they're they're they don't work mm-hmm. okay however we keep doing them we do we get kind of stuck in in what kind of worked but didn't work well but worked enough um and so yeah i feel like part of what our job is to help people figure out new ways of coping that are going to be a bit more you know uh, effective and productive so what i've found is that Oh, gee, if Mary gets off drugs, she might be the Queen of England. Uh, you know, if John stops drinking, there's no reason why he can't win the Nobel Peace Prize. But what people don't understand is that simply removing whatever that substance or the addiction is, then they have to face the world without that without that buffer. Yeah, and that makes it pretty difficult. And that's it sounds like a super simple task, but it definitely is not. You know, I mean, that was the main coping strategy for a very long time used. Um, so to, to take that out, um, we have to replace it with something. Uh, and they need to be healthy coping strategies. Uh, and we usually need a lot of them. So we talk about kind of having a toolbox full of them um, because it's not a one-size-fits-all. Um, you know, oftentimes drugs kind of became that one-size-fits-all. Um, you know, use it when you feel good, use it when you feel bad, use it when you feel stressed, use it to, you know, pretty much anything. Uh, and so we need to find new ways of uh, helping folks be able to know how to cope with those situations and emotions and thoughts that come up um, so that they can still be, uh, you know, healthy and functioning. So how do you help people find out what drives behavior, Mike? Well, so we look at kind of what is the the intention behind it, what's the purpose, what What's it solving? What need is it kind of fulfilling? Um, and then we kind of can work from that of figuring out a new way um, because there's something there, whether it's anxiety and depression, you know, oftentimes past trauma. There's something that probably needs to get resolved as well as learning the new coping. So many people have unfinished business in their lives. Yeah. And a lot of that is things that they either are unwilling or unable to address. Yeah. How do you help people with that, Mike? So it, it is trying to slowly unpack some of that stuff, you know, and I think to realize that it takes time. Uh, oftentimes people want to get it done kind of overnight, you know, we'll, we'll do two weeks of, of residential and then I'll be good to go. Um, but it, it is a lot of unresolved stuff that, that has been there for probably years. So it's going to take a lot of time, uh, usually through building a really good relationship with a therapist, um, to be able to kind of figure a lot of that out because we don't have all the answers either. Um, you know, the, 
the, the individual going through recovery has them in there. We just have to kind of be on that journey with them to figure that stuff out. So I haven't figured out the patient's pill yet. I haven't been able to give that yep. to anyone. No. So I'm sure that this has uh, happened to you too. Maybe you'll see somebody for uh, maybe two months and they'll say, this isn't working. I'm, I'm going to stop. How do you deal with that, Mike? This is, this is a frustration among not only with therapists, but when you're dealing with people that you care about. Yeah. So, I mean, we take a look to see, well, what have we done? And then maybe more importantly, what have we not done? You know, can we find a new way of doing some of these things or addressing them or approaching them? Um, because whatever we were trying wasn't working. Um, or we look at like how much were they putting into practice? Um, and that's hard. You know, we think about, uh, Sometimes we think about motivation to change as pretty simple. Either you're motivated or you're not. But there really is a pretty wide spectrum there of, you know, knowing I need to change, but not quite being willing to put all of the actions in that, that are required. Perhaps explain to people sometime that therapists also can get frustrated. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important to kind of talk about that. And I feel like, you know, I really lean on um, limiting self-disclosure um, in the therapy you know, session, but I feel like that's one that can be useful to say, you know, I'm also feeling a little bit frustrated on kind of what's happening right now or the lack of progress. What can we do? So sometimes that feeling can kind of push us into a new direction or taking a different approach so that maybe some things can get done, some change can happen. Right. And this can be one of the most frustrating things, not only for a therapist, for that, for the client, the patient. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's it. They want, they want some symptom reduction. They want some change in their life, um, but they might not know how to get there. And so I think just practicing talking about it, you know, using that intimacy in that moment of saying like, well, what does this feel like? What can we do to make something different now? You're not feeling happy. I may be feeling frustrated. Let's really dig in to do something. And that involves having small achievable goals yeah, and recognizing those and celebrating those. However, what it also involves is active listening. Mm-hmm. How, can, how do you get that concept through to people? For them to listen in their yes. own life. <laughs> yeah, that can be difficult. Um, I think part of it is practicing it, sometimes just in session. Um, I feel like that's where group therapy can be really effective because we can really start to kind of hone in on those skills and practice right in the moment. Um, you know, while, while we have a whole group going on of using those reflections, you know, and, and, you know, because I think we struggle, um, to be able to accurately and efficiently communicate with each other. Um, we often get caught up in our own heads. So we're more thinking about what to say rather than actually listening to what is being said. <laughs> so we often found that most conflicts, resentments, misunderstandings occur as we assume yeah. the other person thinks that we know what we think, how we feel, and what our needs are. Yeah. So one of the big things that particularly within a, in a recovery group and particularly in relationships is to be able to is to be able to get that across. How do you how do you get that point across to people? I mean, sometimes it is just reviewing pretty common kind of cognitive distortions or unhelpful thinking patterns to be able to kind of uh, bring their attention to them, uh, you know, as a general idea, and then start kind of recognizing them in the moment. In the moment. Yeah. Say about, more about that. So the uh, the immediacy, the, the in-the-moment um, process can really be powerful um, because, you know, we can... Uh, 
I, we can understand the idea or the concept, you know, as an abstract, but whenever we then bring it to the moment and say, well, this is what I just noticed right now, um, it can really be more impactful and it can actually then start to make some change happen if they, you know, see it happening right now and unfolding in the moment. So mindfulness now seems to be an industry. Yeah, it definitely is. And Sometimes I believe that people think that they invented it. Yeah, yeah. Where it's been around for many, many years. And at times we've I've done the time traveling exercise many, many times. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's was life's happening right now. Yep. Most people have frequent flyer miles to the past and the future and brief yeah. flyovers in the present. Yeah. So this is the only time that life is happening. This is the only time that change can be made. Yeah. How do you help people ground? How do you? What type of grounding techniques do you use with people? So, I mean, I do think mindfulness is really, really helpful. I'm just trying to practice um, taking even just two minutes, if you can, um, to kind of go through the three basic uh, core foundations of mindfulness, which can just be uh, kind of touching base with your body, kind of position, kind of where you're at, how you're feeling, uh, your breathing, right? Making sure that we're taking deep breaths. Um, and then your, your thinking of just trying to notice those thoughts without getting so attached that you grab on and kind of just create a whole whole pile of them. So for some people, when they say, they say hey, Mike, I don't want to, I'm not interested in this woohoo stuff. Yeah. How do you, how do you explain that it's not woohoo? Well, I mean, because I feel like most people can recognize that they are already thinking about all this other stuff that needs to happen in the moment. So it's just getting them to recognize that it's already happening. Um, and it's actually causing us a lot of uh, frustration and, and you know anxiety in our life. Um, and just to try to practice some other way. So start, starting really simple with diaphragmatic breathing, um, maybe, you know, try and um, a guided imagery or, you know, something that kind of fits for them. So not all of them usually fit or work, but usually one of them can kind of say like, oh, this seems to help me kind of just be in the moment. Um, and once you experience that, uh, there's this this lift uh, of anxiety and burden off, and it really does help. So how do you deal with people who say, oh, I'm stuck in my ways. I'll never change it. You know, a tiger can't change his stripes, uh, those types of things, or people who have contempt prior to investigation? Yeah, I mean, you know, trying to look back at other changes that they have made because everybody has made changes sometime in their life. And there's usually a reason, some some things that's kind of pushing us to do it. So um, I think it's just helping them recognize that the change has already happened for them. And that means we can then make new changes as well. Well, we do. We often use a 12-step term. Again, you can't read the label when you're inside the bottle. True. Okay. So it not only applies to drugs and alcohol, it applies to depression and anxiety, relationships, yep. whatever. And I think people, when I take... Uh, physician assistant students or whoever to 12-step meetings, one of the one of the things that they uh, take away from it, number one is the camaraderie, number two is the non-judgmentalness, yeah. and number three is sometimes, most of the times, how little drugs and alcohol is actually talked about. Yeah. I mean, it, it is kind of this amazing fellowship. You know, there's a sense of community that is really important. You know, when we start to feel connected to other people and supported, and we have this shared, you know, experience, um, it, there is something that that helps us feel 
less alone, you know, and it's the same with, with nature. It's, it's, you know, kind of getting us connected to something bigger is really important because, you know, really when you're in either depression, anxiety, or drug use, you're feeling alone, uh, quite, you know, literally, you know, you're, you're disconnected or you're isolated from other people, but even just the experience of that makes you feel really alone. So to be able to connect with others that, that fully understand what that is like, there is nothing, you know, more than that. And that's important. You don't have to explain yourself there. Yeah. Nobody ever asks, why are you here? Yeah. Yeah. You just feel accepted. You you just know that and that there is something really important about that. Every Everyone has a need to be heard, Mike. Yeah. Everyone has a need to be accepted. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that you deal with that because a lot of times people in the early recovery, when they're out there, what I call running, uh, they feel that they're not part of, they feel they're not accepted. They feel that they've never fit in. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with that with people, Mike? Yeah. I mean, I think it is finding a little bit about who they are and and where they can kind of create that sense of community because it's going to be different for everybody, you know? Um, you know, I think that's one of the cool things about being here at Ark Manor is the residential center is that's one of the first places that they get to experience that sense of, you know, uh, of being, you know, part of a group that, that feels really good. Everyone has the same desire to make changes and to have a new life. Um, and it can really start to grow there. So it is about kind of finding what that is for each individual person because it's going to look different. So nobody here is saying, well, why did you do that? Why don't you just stop? Yeah, yeah which happens a lot outside of these walls. You know, people don't understand addiction, um, you know, oftentimes in our society. And so there's a lot of that kind of moral, uh, you know, blaming on uh, they're just not strong-willed, um, they don't care enough. Um, and, and that is not the experience that I've had for, you know, with anybody that I've worked with. Everybody, everybody has the capability for a moral compass. Everybody yeah. deep inside them knows the difference between right and wrong. Yeah. Okay. So where did you develop this affinity for the recovery world? So it probably was kind of twofold. One was, um, you know, I have family that are, uh, you know, in recovery. And so seeing the the great change that can happen for their life and for those around them, you know, really drew me to that. Um, and then the other one was kind of just uh, happenstance. I worked at a uh, rehab uh, for my first job outside of college and just really fell in love with the idea of being able to to see so much change and growth in, in a pretty short period of time. Um, and so that's where I really kind of said, I really want to be part of this. Well, and Bill Wilson in the 12-step book says, nothing will take a person out of themselves as much as working with someone else. Yeah, yeah. There is just something to get, you know, yeah, helping somebody else kind of move to an area where they didn't think they could. Uh, they always had the strength and ability inside them. They just didn't always recognize it or know how to get there. So everything that you've done in your life has put you in a position to succeed. Yeah. Everything that you've done in your life, quite far from what I tell people is, you've lived through every bad day of your life. It's true. You've lived through every single one of them. Please check out our website at fishingwithoutfaith.com where you can listen to the show comment on our discussions, and find out where you can subscribe to our podcast. If you're interested in flying the colors of Fishing Without Bait, click the shop icon on our website. We have clothing, mugs, cell phone cases, and so much more. Show the world that you fish without bait. This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.